0: are about two weeks to the next D3 exams in the WSET Diploma Program. On this occasion, I invited Alex Chui as my next guest to the podcast to give tips and last-minute encouragement for those who sit the exam on the 25th of October. Alex has passed the diploma with distinction recently and won the Sograve Prize for his extraordinary achievement. Plus, he is also the moderator of the most popular and active WSET study group on Facebook and the creator of many helpful study guides. On the site he is also a PhD student at Oxford, so wine is basically just a hobby. I think it tells a lot about this humble man, who I enjoy talking to very much. You can also find some helpful links in the description, that might ease some burden on your shoulders and help you get the most out of your preparation. Other than that, you can find the timeline down there as always, and if you are listening to the episode, on Spotify please vote on the question asked in the show notes and share this piece with anyone who might get something out of it cheers Alex Choi thanks for taking the time i think we have some uh, delay in terms of time because you are sitting in california and i am sitting in the dark tyro already but thanks for taking the time welcome to the show
1: yeah, thanks for this opportunity of like hosting me. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing all the guests you have interviewed before and I'm definitely feel a little bit unqualified to be sitting here and discussing, you know, the diploma exam with you.
0: Oh, don't dare to say that. I am happy to have you. But maybe as a kind of reference point, what this podcast is going to be about. I'm basically three weeks away from my D3 exam. And I'm not alone, probably in the world, a couple of thousand people uh, already waiting for this exam or afraid of this exam, but you passed it uh, with distinction and not only this exam, but also I think the whole diploma, right? So can you talk a little bit about your experiences uh, during the diploma and also about maybe passing it with distinction? I guess it wasn't a accident.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, Sure. I'd like to share my experience. So I started my diploma back in 2021 and I finished my last exam of D3 just last year in October. So I took sort of the minimum time of one and a half years into diploma. And um, before doing this, I actually, (laughs) there was a time that I doubt myself whether I would do the diploma because for listeners who are, um, you know, Uh, Who have not known me? I'm not actually not in not in the wine industry. I'm currently doing a PhD uh, in San Diego in California. So this is sort of my side hobby. So, but then I ended up finding uh, you know doing the diploma to be quite gratifying experience, and uh, that was sort of also my my continuation from um, the blind tasting club that I was involved in before I moved to the US. So I find, you know, the diploma to be a very well-written course. And um, I initially I started it. I thought I would take longer time to do this. But I find myself, you know, really into the process, really into exam preparation and think about, you know, possible, you know, tasting um, exams or possible t- uh, theory questions. And I was very lucky to be involved in a very engaging tasting group uh, here in Southern California. So that was the key to my success in a way. Uh, but also, I think um, my experience of writing exams um, under the British system might help a little bit uh, compared to my American uh, colleagues. So, you know, ten years ago, I was doing A levels, uh, the British A levels in Hong Kong. So, I was very used to reading examiner's report, um, sort of like maybe have an educated guess about what kind of question will come up in the next exam. I sort of I didn't um, use and apply that sort of techniques in dealing with the diploma exams. So I would say, yeah, part of my success would be about exam techniques, but part of it is really hard work and um, doing a lot of like diligent uh, tasting and practicing writing essays. Because, you know, uh, this is completely different from level three, where there's no um, questions that are like multiple choice questions. So everything you need, you are presenting is has to be in a coherent words and uh, try to be uh, as academic as possible.
0: You do a lot of help for those who are just sitting in their room and uh, being afraid of the of the exam. So you do a lot of uh, documents and um, maybe give a lot of tips uh, to people in different groups uh, or in different platforms. Uh, so why do you do that actually? i'm a, I'm really curious about the uh, motivation.
1: I guess, um, I mean, I, I guess for context, for, for listeners who may not be aware, I'm currently managing a almost like 4,000 strong Facebook group um, that is called the WSCT Diploma in wines Worldwide Study Group. And that was not a group that I created. I basically joined this group maybe one and a half years ago. And um, the group started to basically not be managed very well because that was not, um an active moderator so there started to be you know spam and and irrelevant posts so i sort of just volunteer myself to managing this group keeping the conversation that is relating to diplomas as much as possible so at the time i felt like uh because i was in the diploma process so i'm very engaged in you know having conversation with candidates around the world about you know our experience with the diploma tips to tasting and all that And I was able to find myself connecting with, you know, really a lot of like minded people who are like in the process and um, who are able to share their resources or, you know, take turn to give each other presentations. Um, So everybody is actually sacrificing a lot of time into helping one another. So even when I'm finished with my diploma, because during the preparation process, I prepare like documents such as all the past questions. um arranged by by countries regions for example and there are lots of people who actually still get in touch with me um, about you know via private messages about you know what do I think about um, this topic or here's an essay that I wrote can you comment on it that kind of thing so you know my disclaimer is that I don't I don't earn any money from doing this but I just felt like the help that I received from others during my diploma preparation process was um you know super useful and i like to pay it forward and i i like instead of just replying to a person individually about you know one particular topic i thought you know i could take an opportunity to write a post and that could benefit you know thousands of people who were maybe in the same process and i think maybe a more you know less altruistic version that i'm able to take away is that now i'm able to connect with you know sommeliers or people who work in a wine industry all over the world so you know i like traveling so you know if i travel to next time to Tiro for some reason i may have somebody to host me so this for this sure. sort of the benefits i get out of it
0: well thank you in the name of all the of wst diploma students i think uh for the work you put in i would like to um, first begin with the most challenging aspects of this d3 because it's um, undoubtedly the the most difficult part of this uh, education program so In my experience, even though I uh, I work daily with wines and with different regions and with different wines, basically, this is not only my work, but also my hobby. I still find it challenging to wrap my head around uh, the the sheer amount of knowledge, what you have to memorize and put into your mind because it's um, not uh, really common, even as it's somalia that you have to memorize, I don't know, 600 pages. So the most of what I got out of your help and also not maybe not only from you, but also from others to put frameworks around these kind of buckets of knowledge what, uh, what they, we have to learn. So how would you maybe approach it um, as a beginner, the D3 study material?
1: Yeah, so I think definitely compared to the other units where like you know for also listeners who are not in diploma uh, we have the wine production wine business and then there are smaller users on sparkling and fortify and for those units i would say the best approach is to like really screw up the whole book and try to remember as much details as possible but for these three it's a completely different exercise as mate has mentioned we have 600 pages of really you know extensive materials so my I guess my approach to this is that like the first time you read through the book just read it as a story don't um, bother about like ticking notes yeah, or memorizing all the you know intricate details about you know how many hectoliters per hectare yield that kind of information because there's no way I can remember those like really um specific numbers by first reading it especially if I'm not familiar with those regions and I think from um example- preparation point of view, um, for certain regions and places, I think um, WSU has taken an approach into asking experts to write a certain chapter for them. But um, there are certain materials that I feel like is less examinable to be, I, I wish I can sort of uh, outline this in better words. But f- um, an example that I can give is, for example, in uh, in the Australian chapter. There were a lot of information about less regions regions, um, and the whole chapter is organized by, by basically the geographical division from the super zones to like, sub-regions within Australia. And I would say that is the, not the most intuitive way of understanding Australia. Um, I would argue that understanding Australia is more, uh, more about understanding where um, the international varieties are grown. Um, And also, like a lot of these small regions that I mentioned, I think they can hardly be made into an essay exam. So when I'm reading through this, I feel like, okay, these are something that is good to know. But perhaps for the purpose of preparing for the exam, I would triage those uh, kinds of information. And then uh, moving on to something that is like maybe a um, classical region. So I think a lot of people who are in the industry definitely know on the top of their head, like Bordeaux, Burgundy, much more in detail than what is presented in the Diploma book. Um And I think, you know, that basically shows the point that the Diploma is not about understanding, like, who are the five first growth in Bordeaux are, what are their characteristic, but it's more about understanding the region Um Uh, As a whole, um, it is the diploma is all about more about generalization rather than specific information. Although the caveat that is, of course, if you can supplement your arguments with specific examples, that could elevate your points in the eyes of the examiners. So um, when I'm facing with a area or region that I'm not particularly familiar with in the first place, like I would jot down some notes, but then The first thing I would do is I would imagine now I'm writing an essay question for this chapter. So, for example, um, as as an example for a question that has appeared in the last exam that I did, that was in October, that was about uh, assessing Portugal's strengths and weaknesses um, as a wine-producing country. So, admittedly, I don't have a lot of, you know, detailed information about Portugal except, you know, Vino Verde, and maybe a little bit about Juro, uh, maybe about port wine. But then, if I'm sitting down to write down this question, there's no way that I can integrate all the information from the book about you know the regions from the different subregion in Lisbon and you know Dow and all kinds of varieties that they are growing. So I basically am thinking about if I am I have forty minutes um, to write such an essay with an open book condition, what kind of information will I be choosing from the book to construct this essay? And I think doing this exercise really helped myself to distill down that those kind of information that I would be able to remember, those kind of information that I feel it is important to be presented in order to give an overview about a topic, and um, just like discard some information that I don't feel like it's um you know necessary so i guess like um my very like short answer to this is that by practicing writing exam style essays as much as possible it will help you to distill down information that may be considered a little bit you know extra from the textbook and um it is in this way by practicing writing maybe tens of essays that i'll be able to get a sense by reading the diploma text that um, which ones are the information that I will try to remember. And of course, if you sort of have a gut feeling about what kind of topics will come up, then I will try to dive deeper into remembering, you know, the minor varieties that may be grown in the region or some facts and figures or recent developments in those regions. In case those kind of questions come up, those will earn you extra points. But in general, um, I just really stick to... Um, the information that is presented in the diploma book and uh, sometimes I listen to podcasts and you know webinars about certain regions but I do not um, seek myself to integrate a lot of extra information um, into my work um, just because there's just so much going on.
0: I think you mentioned uh, a lot of important points and I want to delve into yeah, maybe filtering down the information what you what you're gonna write in the exam situation, right? Because your time is more than limited, and uh, I also just actually. Break- almost write a mock exam today and actually the question came from you my friend so i <laughs> because you already posted uh, some possible questions in the facebook group and i completely went off the rails uh, with your recent uh, bordeaux questions where you asked to comment on why the bordeaux vines are inherently better as planned and i wrote a half a page about the bordeaux growing environment that I, trying to justify why these varieties planted and where and I guess I completely wasted my time. So I think it's one of the best advices where you can give. It's you probably or you maybe have a lot of knowledge about the region, but it's completely irrelevant, irrelevant, and you have to focus mm-hmm. on the specifics, what they ask for. And also the other one is the phrase your answers in um, essay kind of kind of format, because uh, I think a lot of people also do flashcards. I do them as myself as well but on the other hand maybe it's not always the best um exercise or maybe they're not most effective in 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 a lot of situations what what's your take on that
1: yeah so i did find myself using flashcards a lot when i'm preparing for other units but again um i find this approach like at least for myself completely um inapplicable for the context of d3 because what I find myself is um, there's just a lot of like, you know, pieces of information that I have to remember. And the best way for me to remember, instead of writing bullet points, is to use the form of an essay to connect all the dots together. So for me, at least, writing the essay actually helps me to solidify those kind of information. Um, and then to your, I mean, and and also like, thank you for looking at the question that I posted <laughs> just yesterday. But I thought, you know, I can come up with some possible question that is maybe a little bit more thought provoking instead of just asking about, you know, the different regions of Bordeaux, for example. Yeah. Because I feel that for the, from WSCT's perspective, if they are asking about like a classical region like Burgundy, Bordeaux, or, you know, Tuscany, um, instead of asking um, very factual stuff, they would want candidates to go a little bit extra, you know go a little bit further in really evaluating why this region has come to be and why it is it, why it is so famous. And in contrast to this, for example, for a, um, a smaller region such as um, as an example from Mays exam Campania uh in in southern Italy um the the requirement for the question is a little bit lower so they are just expecting candidates if they have regional knowledge just to lay out what is grown where and what the soil what the climate is like instead of critically evaluating the region So I think um in general I can give the advice of for these like classical regions I would you know really think about um out of the box about why This region is so famous. Why is Bordeaux blends being replicated all over the world? And that sort of goes back to the question that I set up about, you know, why is Bordeaux all about blends? Can I make really nice varietal wines in Bordeaux? I don't have an answer, and I think you know I don't take credit for creating this question. I I must have seen this question in some other forms before, no matter it is from diploma or some from other of wine previous question but i feel that like in order for me to argue this i have to sort of justify what has made bottle famous you know there are red wines from the left bank and the right bank there are also white wines there are dry white wines that are oak and un there are sweet wines there are even rosé wines and i think in order to justify this i will come back to sort of d1 in considering why is blending needed right because you know, you can argue this being a complement of the um, characters of the great varieties. You can comment on this by um, saying that it is sort of like an insurance policy in case the weather is not good. So, you know, they can adjust the cabinet versus merlot percentage. Or you can say that there are, because in many Bordeaux houses, there are different, like they're the first wines, second wines, third wine, they're produced. So it is a way for them to select the best grapes for the most expensive product. So I think there are multiple ways of asking it. And for these kind of like critical evaluation question, I never really limit my framework into thinking about naming AOCs. So I really think about reasons why This is what it is. And then I use the AOC. And then maybe if I have that product knowledge using specific wines to justify why this is. And I'm sure there may be, um, you know, wines that are in Bordeaux that are varietal wines. I I could not name any of them. But, you know, if somebody can make it of them to name one of them to make a counterpoint, that would make a very good essay. Um, And then I think um, in general, I think... um, For questions that, um, going back into, let's say, naming about strengths and weaknesses, um, um, a lot of people get in touch with me asking uh, whether I have a particular framework about writing these kind of questions. And I generally, I say I don't, because sometimes I feel that when writing the strengths and weaknesses for a particular region or country, Sometimes I feel more natural to present strings and weaknesses as a pair. Sometimes I, I'm more inclined to presenting all the strings and then come to the weaknesses. So that feeds on to the point that um, essay planning is really useful. So um, I've always given this recommendation about it. you really have to know within a time span of 40 minutes how many words you can write. So my general recommendation is that 750 words is usually the minimum that I would go for. For my personal experience, I would expect about 900 words um if I'm, you know, reasonably familiar with this topic. So if there's like a strength and weaknesses question presented to me right now, then I have, you know, in my mind, I would maybe spend 100 words or so uh, like as a like general introduction or maybe conclusion paragraph. although I don't think that is needed to for a complete essay to have an introduction and conclusion for exam purposes but i just do it to give a context to make the essay more readable to the examiners and then for the rest of the 800 words then i may think about can i come up with four strings and four weaknesses um, and then each of them i spend about 100 words on it and i know that actually 100 words correspond to you know maybe eight lines uh on like based on my um, font size so in that way, when I'm going through and when writing through the question, then I have a very clear idea on um, how many, how, how many percent of the essay have I completed and whether I am going off track because I've had the framework to begin with. And of course, if you, you know, have a little bit more time in preparing this, then you can think about whether to present the strength and weaknesses as a pair or sequentially, or you know, which strength to present first because you are most Confident about it, or you want to make the point of it being the greatest. So, as a Portugal, for example, they are you know one of the strength one of the strength of the country is that they have a lot of indigenous varieties that are only found in Portugal. So, you know, then you can mention about the strength being like you know unique for customers and all that, all that, and then correspondingly the weakness is like lack of recognition of those um, varieties for like regular consumers, yada yada yada. So in that way, I can see the synergy or the coherence of presenting information that way. And ultimately, when you present your essay in a logical manner or in a well-planned form, it makes it easy for the examiner to pick out the points. And and I think how the examiner actually scores your essay is that they pick out important information that they feel is relevant or they're present in the so-called mark scheme. And then um, they sort of count up the points and that is sort of your final score. But, you know, in this counting process, there is a lot of um, uh, impression marking that I call that is going into mm-hmm. this process. So ultimately making your essay as readable as possible, as logically possible uh, to to follow for the examiner is is a key. And of course, like try to write legibly, although this is something that I, I still am try- trying to improve myself.
0: Impression points, I think it... They are also justifying the right structure. I think one of the uh, best students or uh, candidates for the WSC uh, the diploma is actually ChatGPT because every time I ask something from this whatever it is, it structures the answer very well. And uh, I wonder if you would recommend maybe to structure our answers in a similar matters because if you don't know uh, ChatGPT, Alex, I, I'm sure you know, but I talk to the listeners. Um, it's basically this AI model that if you ask something or something similar, what you might experience in the WSET exam, it gives very um, much like headlines, uh, subheadings for every kind of answer, and it structures the answer very well. Maybe the information is not always the most accurate, I also must admit. But um, on the other hand, it structures all the answers very well. And if I were an examiner, I would be more than glad to read something like that. Even though, if it's may, it's maybe fewer words, but it's more on point. It's uh, readable. It basically it's without bullshit. Not like uh, what I <laughs> mentioned in the beginning, like I went off the rails with the, all the uh, subregions of Bordeaux. So, what what's your take on that? To ma- basically mimic the the AI model. Um,
1: yeah. So I I, I think like. Um... For people or listeners who are not familiar with these AI models, first time they see it, may, they may regard that as magic. Um, but ultimately, at least for ChatGPT itself, it has a sort of, it has a the information is stated, so it's not connected to the internet and they are not verifying the information, so to say. So ChatGPT definitely is very useful for people in the creative field if they are trying to you know, come up with with new ideas that, you know, doesn't require the facts to be checked. But I do agree on that if you are planning an essay, if you don't know how to structure it, or you know, in cases, even for myself, English is not my first language. So if I'm, you know, not very used to planning an essay, using Chat GPT as a first start to sort of see how the AI model will structure this for you, maybe a good starting point. But you know. And obviously that is with the huge caveat that, you know, you wouldn't not trust any of the facts that it sort of says because some of the facts is just like, you know, it's not even something they learn it, they just create it out of their own box. Um, but, you know, using this as a tool to, you know, go from zero to one instead of like from, you know, to the point of like 100%, um, it's a useful tool. And I feel like you know a lot of people on the other hand are sort of like disregarding the the, the importance or the um, value of such an AI model. But I think we are now living in this age where you know AI generated content is prevalent everywhere, so we have no escape from that. And I think you know by understanding or by playing with this model, if you have the time. Um, Definitely, it will sort of helps you to think about, you know, if I'm writing an essay for an exam versus if I'm writing an exam, um, you know, for regular, you know, for for a newspaper, for a magazine, how would you approach it differently, right? And I think the funny thing about ChatGPT also is that you can modify your prompts and you will generate a different response. So imagine you are presenting, you can ask ChatGPT to, to write about Bordeaux for wine experts versus as asking ChatGPT 2 to write about Bodo for completely novices and you can then sort of have a good understanding about ah okay so what are the actual important facts that everybody must know and um what are the what are the facts only the experts are supposed to know and that in turn helps you to structure you know your own essays about your presenting the major facts to begin with and then closing out with the more niche facts but also you know if you're working in a shop working in you know restaurant that may help you to triage information that most of the public may find more relevance in and um you know and then some of the other more motivated drinkers may may, may find the other way
0: that's a very important point i also told him or her i don't know what it is (laughs) um that I'm a Somali and I'm preparing for the WCT diploma. And it began to give different answers. I mean, more detailed, uh, structured otherwise. So it's, uh, I agree with you. It's very, um, I think it's a very useful tool, Uh, especially if you want um, like really swiftly, some kind of accurate information, or maybe just find that a point of view, but you might not think of in, in in that moment but um yeah it's worth checking out maybe in, in these kind of books yes yeah it's exactly uh, this lexicon is like and, the bible
1: and i think maybe like one really interesting point of using chat gpt is i think when i was preparing for my portugal question and then ChatGPT, I, th- I think I used it uh, at one point, and ChatGPT basically returned to me saying that, oh, Portugal is um, a very important country in terms of coke making. Mm-hmm. Right, so as, as, as everybody knows. So when I was writing my diploma exam question about the strength and weaknesses of Portugal, I I made my final point saying that, well, Portugal is actually instrumental into, I guess, the wine industry in the world because it supplies... You know, um, basically the majority of the world's coke. Now, this mm. is a point that actually I did not think of before, and um, and probably is not mentioned in the book. I don't know if that is relevant, in fact, mm. in the examiner's point of view. But that was something extra that gpt was initially able to provide to me, and that sort of sparked the idea for me to actually make it as a point. Or yeah. you know, maybe if you can decide the other way, thinking that is totally irrelevant.
0: Uh, but what uh, what other materials would you recommend or would you actually recommend other materials or you would just only stick to this textbook what you were given?
1: Um, so my take on this is that I do have a lot of extra books and extra references. So from time to time, I read them. Uh, if I can remember what I've learned, like organically, that would be great. But I wouldn't mm. worry about actively integrating a lot of extra information into, um, you know, my my, my studies. Because um, sometimes you might also encounter a situation where the book versus your, you know, other resources, the, the facts might conflict with one another. Yeah. So that makes it extra tricky. Um, so I, I use those extra books mainly for the reason that, you know, sometimes I feel that the textbook itself, it's a little bit dry and I really want to have an extra different perspective about how this region is like so i go into this other book for example understanding Languedoc from a completely different point of view then i sort of am able to understand ah okay so that are actually the influence of the mountains the influence of the uh, mediterranean sea the influence of the atlantic coming from the other side that is the crux of understanding Languedoc. and i think maybe the textbook can make it a little bit clearer about this point but, you know, I think I find it useful to reference other books um, to just gain an extra perspective, but also bearing in mind that the facts they expect you to know is in the textbook already. So the also companion, for those who don't use it regularly, is basically just a dictionary of wine. So they may have entry for an entire country, uh, which then starts from history to great varieties growing to regions to business. Um, but you know, especially for, um, actually for D1, um, which is, which, uh, the Oxford Companion was a very useful book for me because I was able to understand, uh, let's say, you know, you know, different actually jargons about winemaking that, um, maybe the book has only touched on for a little bit. So that helps. Um, the other, the other resource that I use is the book called Wine Grapes. So it is, um, basically, It's a very thick book that basically organizes, I think, in exceeding 1,300 grape varieties in alphabetical order. And it sort of lays out um, the, um, I guess, partly also the genetic information about it, the viticultural characteristic of it, and where they are found. And obviously, for most of these varieties, we are not supposed or not expected to know in the exam. But uh, if I'm reading a little bit about, about Pinot Noir, and actually will be able to understand the grape a little bit better um, than just by reading the very short description about the grape itself from the textbook. So that was very useful. And then it also gives us the context about, let's say, Cabernet Sauvignon is widely grown all over the world. But uh, if a question comes up about asking why Cabernet Sauvignon is so prevalent all over the world, by reading extra resources like this, I can understand what are the recent developments? For example, you know, like the 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 example of Cabernet Sauvignon in China, in Lebanon, in you know other emerging countries. Maybe something that you can mention to supplement the point about Cabernet Sauvignon being a um, very attractive variety for emerging growers. Um, and then um, also understanding maybe uh, the you know certain producers. Um, I think the book Wine Grapes also mentions some iconic producers who pioneer this variety in this certain region. So it really gives me a lot of extra but relevant context. And um I also refer to the world atlas of wine mm. and the Sotheby's encyclopedia for wines. I really like the maps, and I think um there are a lot of really great detailed maps out there, but um you know, sometimes when I'm looking at maps in detail and looking at the relief maps, looking at, you know, the, the names of the mountain ranges around it in a more detailed version of the map, then I will be able to visualize this a little bit more. Um, some people even go to the extent of um, logging in into Google Earth and doing like a flyby view of um, the region. I think the classical example is like if you go to Napa. And following the the route from the the San Francisco Bay up towards, like, um, uh, and then to Canaros, then through the heart of Napa Valley, and then towards, like, the top. It is actually a very um, visual exercise. And that would help you to sort of maybe uh, realize what are the mountain AVAs, what are the valley AVAs, which ones are on the left, which one are on the right, that sort of thing. So anything helps. And I think um, ultimately some people work better with like visual aids. Some people work better with listening. Um, and I just, I have a lot of like extra books that I actually end up buying, but do not refer to them as much. So it is about, you know, understanding your own learning method and understanding what helps you the best ultimately. Um, but yeah, the bottom line is everything you're supposed to learn to know is already in the book. But I just use extra resources to help me to solidify, solidify those information.
0: One of my favorites, actually, it's always on my table. It's um, Amble Wine, the wine uh, maps. I already uh, made a podcast with uh, Leah. She, she is actually a uh, French girl and she also did a diploma and uh, her maps are invaluable really because they were made um like a diploma student <laughs> which is actually really helpful that they have um the same kind of uh, language and way of thinking as a as a WSCT um student awesome this I definitely before.
1: will check it out
0: yeah it's and they if you buy the map which has already <laughs> or the appellations for example now it's open with bordeaux and burgundy it's also very colorful and all the appellations with the different colors what kind of wines they produce and you can have practice maps which i found really really helpful so basically they are blind maps and you can oh. uh, practice visualizing the location of certain um subregions. so i i personally I found it really really helpful because I think just to put um, certain subregions onto the map and just visualizing the, the the natural environment or the growing environment as you mentioned like in Napo Valley I think mm. it's um it's almost as valuable as um, traveling to the region because um, now I'm living in Tyrol I've spent quite a lot of time in in so in South Tyrol, Alto Adige and this kind of mm-hmm. region. So I, I'm i sure I could write a 10-page essay in in just a couple of hours without thinking. But because I w- I've spent quite a lot of time there and, and, and talked to producers. But if you already mentioned Napa Valley, I have no clue. But so, so these kind of visual <laughs> expressions... I think they are really really helpful and uh, but also as you mentioned uh, there are a lot, some podcasts out there who um who do this kind of regional deep dives which I really, really like but to be honest I, I was also considering to make a like a WSET diploma D3 series podcast just to dive into different regions with this kind of language what WST also does and require and those are more specific because um I think listening is one of the best ways of of learning and memorizing especially if you have some kind of um, colorful context to it maybe a tasting note or um, or a personal story but, um, yeah, I found all these tools, but, um, I really agree with you, with also Hugh Johnson and Chances in the word Atlas of Wine. I think mm-hmm. it's also invaluable, especially now I have to think of the, because I'm actually drinking a Maboro wine, Maboro Sauvignon <laughs> Blanc. <laughs> and I have to think of this uh, map, how they kind of visualized uh, Maboro. With this Mm avatar and and the southern valley is also carved out in the maps. And and then you're going to understand how the region looks like, right? So um, I found these also invaluable, but I want to dive into some of the maybe more, um, hands down, very, very practical frameworks, what you could apply maybe to the, to the exam if you're down to it, because I, um, um, I have some mock questions. Uh, with some um, sample frameworks what I uh, drew it up. So for example, if someone's asking about the growing environment, I use this or I would use these uh, three clusters as topography, climate and soil, because I think this is basically terroir. uh and topography meaning where altitude so where I mean, where on the map. Uh, altitude and other major geographic impact sources, so maybe, I don't know, the mistral wind or the Atlantic Ocean. or And the second was the climate, so basically rainfall, sunshine, and possible hazards, so if you have hail or heavy rain or other than that. And the third was soil, so maybe basically rock types and their textures, um and then the subsequent drainage and how they contribute to ripening, vigor, and yields. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that as um, <laughs> acceptable, <laughs> or how would you no. um, maybe add to that?
1: Um, I think a key point that that maybe other diploma educators also have to reiterate is, I mean, definitely about the climate, about topography, about you know influences, about like natural influences, about soils aspect, that kind of thing. All of the things that you need to mention really, to, to 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 satisfy what is being said about growing environment. But I would basically think about at each point you mention something, how is that related to what is grown there and the styles? So mm-hmm. for a, example, I wrote about Jura um, in my October exam last year. And then I, so I start by saying that, well, Jura is located in, I mean, I forgot like the latitudes, but at the time I had that kind of information in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jura is located in you know um, the northeast region of France, uh, bordering Switzerland. Blah blah. So to give it, like a wider context to begin uh-huh. with, so it has a cool continental climate, and that's why um, the dominant variety grown here are blah 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 blah, blah like Pinot, Chardonnay, Trousseau, Poussard, Savignon. And because the commonality of those varieties, there are early. Um, Budding and early pudding. and then then you think about the major challenges in here in this marginal climate would be to ensure the ripeness of the grapes, and that's why most of the vineyards are planted on south facing slopes, and um, you know in regions like such as Burgundy, then you can go about you know uh, you know the mid slopes versus the top slopes versus valley floor being mm. different classification. So I would, yeah, I would try to just connect um, everything that you have said, but at each occasion when you mention it, connect it already towards the results instead of just laying all the facts to begin with. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think the examiners are looking for a rehash of the materials, but um, they want you to have the impression that you actually understand the materials and connect the, um, the driver to the result. Right. The driver is the climate. The result is what type of things are grown, and what is the resulting style of wine. And um, yeah, so if you can do this, I think you know that adds on to part of the impression marking. I mean, maybe you have thought about presenting all the information in the essay anyway, but it's just thinking about the best way to present it is to connect the dots um, as frequently as possible.
0: And also, I think it's a very good point that they kind of expect you to apply this knowledge and not rehearse it right or not just throw it yeah. out there and then the examiners can do with it whatever so basically i i like to think about it as um in the as a diploma student or as a as you sit in the exam you are kind of the teacher and you have to imagine that the examiner is a student right exactly
1: you're trying to explain and yeah. assume they know nothing about the region, yeah. so there is um, the language that you may use. It it should be catered to a audience an audience that is somewhat educated in wines, but uh, try to avoid using. You know, I mean, maybe you know some like French terms for this specific process or this the name of the soil in this native language term, but I would I wouldn't use it unless you are spending a lot of time defining it because. Mm-hmm. You want to make your essay approachable to everyone, and obviously, sometimes I think people write out extra facts that maybe the examiner doesn't know whether that is true off the top of their head. So you know, if you claim a certain producer is doing this, um, you really have to be sure because I think uh, in cases they will go actually go look it up whether that is a uh, true or not. And um, I think, and also uh, a common mistake for um, candidates to like write statements that are really general mm-hmm. so for example saying that like you know in chablis uh, most producers use stainless steel or neutral oak but some producers are experimenting with new oak so that is the kind of information that was set out in the textbook but like in the like for the purpose of writing an exam question about chablis and this kind of statement does doesn't really bring home that, that much point, except except in occasions where you are elaborating on why that is the case. So you can say that, well, contrast to, to the Cold Door producers in Shadley tend to avoid the use of new oak because of blah, 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 blah. Then it really brings home the point instead of just saying that some people do this, but others do that. And that doesn't really mm-hmm. add value to the essay that you're presenting.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you were in my shoes, so to say. <laughs> so you have mm-hmm. the exam in three weeks, uh, what were your final yeah practices to succeed?
1: Um so you know, I I I when I was preparing for the exam, definitely there is a bit of tactics that was going on. And I feel that because all the D three questions are available to look at. So definitely look up what was being asked in recent years or recent iterations of the exam to get a feeling about what the examiner is expecting, like, you know, from, an, from within each setting because there's always, you know, a classical region. There's always a region that may caught, catch candidates off guard. There is always a combination of new world and old world regions. So starting from that, I sort of, by analyzing these kinds of things, I will have an understanding about what to expect in my exam. And I may come up with educated guess about what may come up. You know, mm. this is something that, you know, I do myself, but that doesn't mean that I completely disregard other regions that has just come up in the past exam. Because I think, you know, they may come up in the context of tasting and maybe that you can use those kind of other regions as a reference point towards the essay that you're writing may may be helpful. But I think, you know, because of the sheer volume of D3, there are certain regions that I'm focusing a little bit more. For example, for this exam, I would definitely, you know, study Bordeaux a little bit more because, um, you know, it hasn't come up in a while. But that doesn't mean that I completely give up Burgundy. (laughs) because I think, you know, Burgundy or Burgundian wines can appear in any sort of contexts. But I think going back to the point that I mentioned at the start of this um, podcast, I feel that, like, the last couple of weeks just get into the mechanics of writing essays. So I know I don't write well in terms of, like, my hands get tired really easily, but I would love to be, you know, really thinking about if i see this essay in my exam how would i structure it so based on the document that i've prepared about all the questions in the past dating back to 2004 um, sometimes i read the question and sort of construct a framework in my head and then um, leave it as it is and then um, i may then try to construct some like sort of like new types of question for myself to practice and it turns out to be quite kind of helpful. And then it's the mechanics of planning an essay and ultimately also like writing an essay by hand that makes you feel that when you enter the exam hall, that you have gone through this process for many times mm-hmm. already and there is nothing to be afraid of. And also there's the technical part of like um, you know, don't don't put all your eggs in one kit because um you know, from looking at past exam, there are always like two thirds of the question that are focused on the old world. So def- definitely, there are something about the new world you have to study, and then um, and also in the sense that, like, if you see a particular set of question, how do you pick the question you want to answer? Um, and um, you know, paying particular attention to the question words, what they're expecting, that kind of thing. So I can share my experience of selecting the questions. Um, so I for my exam I disregarded the questions that basically touch on multiple parts of the same country or the same region mm. so for example I had a Rosé question about um, Navarra Provence and one other region that I forgot um, maybe Bendel or, or something like that but at the time I felt like wow they're all asking me specific knowledge about these three regions so although the question seems very innocuous to begin with, because writing about rosé wines, I know about the winemaking processes and all that, I don't feel as confident as going into maybe the region of Tuscany uh, on a whole, because when I was um, memorizing my information, I'm, I was writing a lot of essays, and I basically have a, like, a rough skeleton about a Tuscany essay, how it might be like. Mm. So those kind of questions work better for me. And also, I had another South African question about three different regions uh, from Stellenbosch to, I think, Walker Bay to um, to this region called Robertson. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I know nothing about Robertson. So <laughs> that already told me that that I, I have to skip that question. Mm. So, um, so I think all in all, it's, um, you know, some of these questions require you to draw knowledge from different parts of the syllabus maybe it's central on a great variety. Some of these questions are more on specific knowledge about that region. Um, so so you really need to understand where your strengths are and pick the right question. And I think don't hesitate to use some time to maybe think about or brainstorm a framework for a particular question before deciding whether to
0: answer it or not. Mm. I think it's one of the m- best point what you made or one of the most satisfying, to be honest, that even though someone is passing uh, all the exams with uh, distinction, there are some parts of the world that this person doesn't have any (laughs) knowledge of. (laughs) But uh, on on the other hand, it happens. Yeah, exactly. And on the other hand, you you shouldn't be right. Like it's one of the best points about chat GPT that nowadays in 2023, basically all the information what you need it's on your fingertips so um, this red line with uh, Willy Balanyuk it's one of my uh, dear teachers at the wine academy in Rus because I studied at, uh, at Rus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, he mentioned you have to find your red line basically right so to understand the legion why it mm-hmm. takes why is it um, why a grand Cru burgundy costs 600 euros and uh, why a bourgeois never ten? so you have to find also these kind of relations and And just link to the to that amount of information what you were succeeding to squeeze into your head, right? (laughs) And frame it, some or sell it, basically, like like you know a lot. (laughs) But um, exactly. uh, Maybe I I you wrote me that you don't want to go into specific tips or. Uh, other than Porto, because you already mentioned it. But uh, you wrote me that you don't really want to give specific tips what might come up. But uh, would you maybe just um, hint some um, general uh, thoughts what you have uh, on the next exam and what it might contain?
1: Yeah, so I think like instead of... So, I mean, the reason why I don't want to give specific points is that, um, well, I guess... Like I hate to, um, I hate people coming back to me saying that. Well, you told me to skip this, but then this region definitely came up. But you know, I can outline my thought process. So, for example, um, when you look in a past exam, you see that, you know, there, there, there is always this combination of major regions and minor regions over New World, right? So Bordeaux and Burgundy definitely comes up every time in. Various contexts, so it may be a region-specific question on Burgundy, but it may be a Chardonnay question that touches on both like California and Burgundy. Mm. And in the case of Bordeaux, there may be an essay about Cabernet Sauvignon or an essay about sweet winemaking. So something like that always comes up. So you know, Bordeaux Burgundy as a pair is something that I would you know try to you know decide on whether which one I would pay more attention to, and then the rest of France there are. I would, I would consider three key uh, wine regions in the rest of France, like being Alsace, Loire, and Rome. And I feel that there's always one question that pertains to one of these regions. So, mm. you know, you know, and then you can pick and choose from these group which one you want to be most prepared for. And then the rest of France, such as like the South, Languedoc, roussillon Southwest, Jura, they may or may not come up. So Jura, for example, has recently come up in last year. So I think the likelihood that it repeats is quite low. But then, of course, you know, I think understanding Jura is kind of fun. So you can just read it over a little bit and don't sweat it too much about it. And um, moving on to the other places, for example, Germany and Austria. Sometimes they come up as a pair. So they may pick two regions, one from Germany, one from Austria, and want you to elaborate on it. Mm. Um, And I think for these two countries, the commonality is about the wine law. So, you know, sometimes they like to set a question based on wine law. So I would, you know, encourage everyone to just, know apart from understanding, you know, different predicates level, you know, some people worry about the the actual rightness level, the numbers. I don't, but um, understanding what are the um, strength and limitation of such a classification system being so unique uh, within Europe and then um yeah so Germany Austria I, I would regard that as a group so you know there was a Austrian question from last time so I don't know maybe Germany will come up I don't know so that was my thinking process mm. when I was preparing this for myself and then Italy you know Italy is a big section in the syllabus so there's always one question that is dedicated to Italy a one in seven question dedicated italy i think it makes sense because it represents about the same weighting in the syllabus so there has to be something in it and for anything about italy is kind of hard to set it as a cross-region cross-country question because things that are grown in italy tend to be you know you know senderese and you know other more uh local varieties, but of course like supertuscans and it's an exception yeah. that can be set in the context of cabernet Sauvignon or Vinzanto can be set as a context of describing different sweet wines and all that. But um but I feel like yeah so the examiners I feel like they like to visit different parts of Italy in each exam. So you know last time we had visited the South in Campania. You know, I think Campania can safely be, you know less of your concern but you know they may stay in the south they may move to the north so that is really up to you to decide like uh the likelihood um but of course like some people (laughs) really don't like it or, or find italy to be very hard to understand and i understand people who skip italy like um like as a whole and that could be something that one can do if you are confident enough in um you know other parts of the syllabus And then I would say, you know, Spain and Portugal, there's parallels between them. So I see that as a pair. And in the rest of the old world, then Tokai and Greece, I think they are the sort of the quote-unquote minor regions, smaller minor regions of the old world. So it is um, rare that they come up together in the same exam, at least in the theory side of things. And then moving on to the new world, then the US, uh, maybe North America as a whole, they has to touch on they have to touch on it you know in some context anyway it may be in the context of a great variety it may be in the context of just like california so i would analyze maybe what has come up recently or what has not been featured yet so that may be something that is useful so for mm. example i was banging on canada to come up and indeed canada did come up in our exam although like in a in a, in a very different context than I was expecting. So I was expecting an essay about the general different growing regions in Canada, more like an overview about a country. But it turns out it was a question that focuses on the Niagara Peninsula specifically. Mm. So I really need to adapt the things that I have prepared and, um, and adapt it towards the uh, question that is presented. And then um, I would say then for South America, Chile, Argentina, they come hand in hand, there are parallels between them. So you know one can set a question about common plus Torontes uh, as a question. And, and obviously you have you have to point out one is from Chile, one is from Argentina, that sort of thing. Uh, but also like compare and contrast the growing environment, the uh geographical influences, etc, etc. Um, and then finally like South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, they are like the things in the south. Um, They like to feature them also, but um, it is for these three countries, it is very flexible in the way of how they are featured because, you know, these countries are most famous of international varieties, so they can appear in any context, they can appear in any flights, Um, they can appear in um, also, you know, and assessing like like a SWOT analysis, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think going back to my earlier point about Australia is that I I wouldn't worry about understanding like a lot about the regions of Australia because for me I just don't have the brain capacity for that. So if they decide to ask Australia in contexts like this, perhaps I would skip that question. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's like easy, like better to understand the um, region as a whole. You know, and, and as you mentioned earlier, like if I were to introduce Australian wines to somebody who knows nothing about it. Where would I start? Um, and that kind of framework helped me to understand a particular country. And um, and I think you know, ultimately, I would. Yeah, the, this is as far as I would say is I consider these similar regions as a group. And I think from an perspective of from the perspective of an um, the 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 person who is writing or designing the exam, they would pick and choose from various groups in order to cover the syllabus very broadly Mm. and also i feel like there is um a tendency for certain topics to be asked already in theory and they would ask about something else in tasting so for example if there is you know a flight i'm sorry a question on the Loire valley um you know diving into the different regions of the Loire. I would not expect a law flight to come up in my question three of tasting. I think it just makes sense and in order to, you know, for the examiner to touch on the different syllabus. But of course, during your course of tasting or preparation, you you, you, you don't have that kind of information available. But I think keeping this in mind in sort of um, um, maybe check like uh, checking off certain probabilities when you are doing the tasting, Um, In relation to the theory, it's a tactic that I used. I've seen a lot of people who are more worried about the tasting part of the exam. But, you know, from statistics, we know 85-90% people pass tasting and only about 55-60 to people pass theory. So definitely theory is the part that one should worry about. Um, But on the the other hand,
0: you only need 55% in the theory right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so
1: i mean i mean you still need 55 for the tasting for, for example so yeah. and in my occasion i actually did better in theory than tasting i still i'm a little bit puzzled about but maybe my tasting notes was not like as accurate as um, what the examiner needed so i think um, the general strategy about tasting writing tasting notes is like write more than they are Expecting because they do they don't do negative marking unless you are really writing something that is off or trying mm. to write 30 notes to try to, you know, get the maximum point. Um, but in general, they are pretty lenient on this. And then um in terms of like thinking about what to come up, I, I like to do this mental exercise a lot, which is you know, think about what kind of varieties can come up in question one of the tasting exam, which you are presented once of the Three wines of the same variety. So I always say there are, you know, only this amount of varieties that are testable. So in my opinion, there are seven white varieties and five red varieties, possibly a sixth one. And I, I you know, I do a lot of these exercises thinking maybe about, okay, if you were to create a flight of Cabernet Sauvignon, which three wines would you choose? And these three wines should you know, in theory represent the diversity of where the grape is grown. So maybe a combination of old world versus new world, mm. maybe a combination of cooler climate versus hotter climate, that sort of thing. So for each of these varieties that are regarded as international varieties and testable, then I always, you know, just randomly thinking about pairs of wines um, that that they are presented. And also, you know, some of, like one of these three wines should be the so-called banker, which means it is the most identifiable wines. And um, one of the wines may be less identifiable on its own, but with the context of the same variety and the help of the other two wines, uh, you might be able to narrow down even to the region. So I think like these mental exercise for me, and then I do the same for different countries, for different regions. And that really helped me a lot in, you know,
0: understanding what is growing where. Very good advice. Thank you very much. And Alex, I will also link um, your Facebook group uh, into the description if it's okay with you.
1: Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, It's open to everyone uh, who are doing the diploma or considering doing the diploma. As long as you answer the membership question, I I think um, you will be let in. But uh, it's just like sometimes you get a lot of spams, so we try to keep the group as focused as possible. But um, but you know, I think um, apart from the, like study tips, also this I have seen in this group that it it was able to connect people from different parts of the world and create friendships. And this was something that um, that I did not expect um, um, before I took up this job as a, the admin of the group.
0: Yeah, and I will also link down uh, a lot of other um, resources. Also, I I forgot the name of this newsletter, but you were also featured as a as a question from a from a reader i guess i think it's um it's a WSET diploma educator it's uh, a lady who makes this oh, that yeah, uh, random uh, questions I,
1: I, yeah yes uh, yes uh, i
0: forgot okay. the name but i i will put the link below as well um yes, yeah yes. and th- thank you for this very informative conversation that was uh, more than enlightening i think <laughs> <laughs> and uh... I mean yeah
1: So I and again like this is only my own take but I, I thought you know now I'm done I'm happy to share all the thought process that went into this and there's no right way into preparing the diploma and definitely my point of view is coming from you know an academic who doesn't work in the wine industry but I hope that uh, the tips that I share might be helpful to sort of help you to find your own perfect way of studying and I wish you know listeners who are preparing for the October exam the best of luck and um it will be over soon
0: (laughs) thanks and I (laughs) hope to taste some wine with you I mean personally as well I drank some Sauvignon Blanc now but (laughs) yes (laughs) uh, yes I hope to I hope to do something with you if you are in Europe again so please definitely know. (laughs) definitely
1: and uh, I'd love to taste some you know quality Riesling from from Austria and you know and even from from the north of Italy, these are so, sort of, I mean, my favorite variety is Riesling. So I'm, yeah. I'm always constantly looking out for interesting Riesling
0: from all over the world. So uh, good to know. I already have a present for you if you come. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank Sorry. you so much.
1: And, uh, but uh, one last thing that uh, you were mentioning about the Marbury Solvian Blanc, um, what I find useful um, when I'm like uh, on the date of. Tasting exam is that I have a, you know, a wine that I'm very familiar with. For example, Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. In my case, I, I was cheap. So I bought a Chilean Sauvignon Blanc as a palate <laughs> cleanser just before the start of the exam. So I sort of know that my palate is, you know, working in normal conditions on the day. And I thought that was really useful. And this was something that, um, a tip that was, um, um, introduced to me when I was doing blind tasting competition in the past.
0: Yeah. That's a very good advice. I do this every morning anyway, but uh, it's finally have a good excuse. <laughs> well, it is well. such a
1: privilege. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Alex, very much, and I would love to do it again, man. Maybe after my exam, or we we could do another podcast to help others after I passed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We can we can potentially dive into regions, countries, yeah. and. Um, Maybe I can share my own take on blind tasting as well. Um, And I'm sure sure that would be a very fun conversation.
0: For sure. Why not? Have a nice day, man. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Cheers.